Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Human Rights Magazine. This episode is part of a series I am calling Pathways to Peace, in which I will speak with people who have been deeply engaged in working for peace in its various aspects. My guest today is Marie Dennis, who has worked for several years with Pax Christi International, the Catholic Peace Movement. She is the author of several books on peace and nonviolence. Marie was also the close friend of Diana Ortiz, the American Catholic religious sister who suffered horrible torture by government agents in Guatemala in the 1980s. Following a long period of recovery, she devoted herself to peace activism until her death in April this year. My own reflections on the life of Diana Ortiz were the motivation for this series of discussions. I asked Marie to share some of her reflections on Diana's life and her response to violence how it had affected her own understanding of what we mean by violence and how we can effectively respond. It is really interesting and a powerful reflection, I think, to um, look at and really um, sit with uh, the Diana's experience, how she, how it affected her and how she used that experience Um, throughout the rest of her life. Um, When she was abducted and tortured in Guatemala, obviously it was right in the middle of the most, some of the most violent years uh, in Guatemala, in El Salvador, in the region. Um, And the, I think for me, uh, on the one hand, to, um, remember those years, to reflect on those years, um, was, has been a reflection on um, violence, the consequences of violence, the ways that we justify violence or not. My sense is that out of Deanna's long journey, courageous struggle, amazing work, founding the task, the Torture Abolition and Survivor Support Coalition, doing phenomenal educational work, um, and on and on, that out of that struggle, I was absolutely confirmed in a commitment to nonviolence that I was not so sure about during the violence and wars in Central America because it seemed to me that that the resistance to oppression in countries like El Salvador and Guatemala, or the um, the victory over a dictatorship in Nicaragua in the seventies, were ex- ex- seemed to be examples of um, of um, struggles that um, would fit with what might be called a just war. And um, I always felt that it was very easy for me, who, though I lived in, you know, violent neighborhoods, I'm fundamentally safe in my, in my own life and my own journey. I always thought it was, it was a presumptuous of me to insist that everyone should be pacifist, should be uh, completely committed to nonviolence in every circumstance. My experience with Deanna and 
a lot of work since uh, sort of in the in the years of living with her has convinced me more and more. And I have heard from people who themselves have been um, so hurt by violence that um, if we are ever going to really establish a more peace, uh, peaceful world, more peaceful communities, more peaceful cities, that the only re- the only way to do that is um, both by learning what violence is, by understanding the consequences of violence, and by committing to nonviolence. So, a lot I could say a lot more about that, but I think that it's that if sort of out of my experience with Deanna, um, I I just believe that her experience points so decidedly in the need to shift um, our world, our thinking, even our struggles for justice and our struggles against oppression to a place where they can be accomplished because we have built our capacity to struggle uh, without perpetuating cycles of violence. Can you comment a little bit about your own role in that engagement and the engagement of Pax Christi in responding to these challenges? I think we have a lot of hard work to do. So I think to begin with, we need to understand what is violence much more deeply than we have. I mean, uh, Galtung and others for decades have uh, been trying to teach us that violence is, yes, it's direct violence, but it's also cultural and structural and, and on and on, systemic. So I think we need to recognize, we need to, put a name on violence wherever we see it. So um, we need to think about um, poverty as violence, exclusion and marginalization as violence, racism as violence, and on and on. That's one thing. Second thing that I think we need to do is we need to work much harder at understanding nonviolence. Not nonviolence as the same as pacifism. I'm, I, I differentiate between nonviolence and pacifism because I think that non nonviolence, I believe is, it is a spirituality for many people. It's a way of life for many people. Um, but it is also a potentially an, an effective global ethic. And it is also um, a, a broad array of, approaches and strategies that we need to use to push back the structural and systemic violence in our world, push back on oppression, to push back on deep injustice and so on. So in that sense, I think we have to invest in both learning nonviolence ourselves, and that takes hard work, but also in developing deepening the nonviolent tools that we could be using to address injustice and oppression. So for me, the image that's very clear is uh, as a, as a U.S. citizen, um, I'm super conscious of the fact that the U.S. is spending now about $750 billion a year on preparations for war, all kinds of preparations for war. So the, so the toolbox of, armed and military and violent tools is full to the brim, robust with well-trained personnel, 
all kinds of uh, weapon systems that respond to any imaginable uh, threat. Whereas on the other hand, when we look at the investment in developing nonviolent tools, there's very little, relatively none. So what we've been arguing um, for the last number of years is uh, where can we uh, find the wisdom and the financial resources and the human intelligence to invest in building nonviolent capacity, everything from diplomacy for sure and uh, negotiation and so on, but also in uh, trauma-informed aid, in trauma, dealing with trauma in our schools and universities all over the world, in restorative justice practices, in uh, unarmed civilian protection practices, in uh, a a whole um, slew of um, ways that we might build human security, build a, a real commitment to what actually makes us feel secure, which is a roof over our head and food on the table and, you know, healthcare and education and so on. So I think that in order to be serious about using nonviolent approaches in responding to oppression, terrible injustice, violence, threats, and so on, we have to make a major investment of time and all kinds of resources in understanding nonviolence, in strengthening it, in doing, for example, the research to know what is most likely to work when and where. So the research that, um, for example, Erica Chenoweth at Harvard and Maria Stefan, who was at the U.S. Institute of Peace until recently, have been doing on, um, uh, for example, when when is it effective for external actors to invest or or support a nonviolent civil resistance action like what's happening in Burma, Myanmar, Myanmar right now? When is it effective? When does it do more harm than good? What should that aid look like? And on and on. We've we've done almost so. We I want every university in the world. To, be, to have graduate students doing research on what kind of unarmed civilian protection works under what circumstances, or at, at, at the level of school discipline in, in Washington, D.C., in, in, in the city where I live, what do we know about what will decrease the level of violence in our city? We have a huge increase in the murder rate in Washington, D.C. in the last year. What's happening? How do we get at that? Why is that happening? So I guess my simple answer is we have a lot of work to do to make it possible to not run from conflict, to not avoid the struggle for against oppression or injustice, but to learn ways to engage it effectively and nonviolently. If we're to set aside violence as a response to violence, and yet continue on a struggle, on a journey toward a more peaceful dynamic in the world, how do we do that? After 
uh, we, and most particularly Pax Christi International, Pax Christi US to some extent, um, began to ask, why is it that our only response to even an egregious attack like that of 9-11 is military action? Why is it that we that we lack the creative imagination to um, treat it as a criminal act and you know deal with it in the court system and so on? So we began to have some um, pretty in, uh, interesting um, dialogue with so Pax Christi International is a an in, a network of about 120 member organizations all over the world, many of which are located in zones of war and conflict, whether in, you know, uh, uh, looking at violences in the United States or Europe or in Colombia or the Philippines or, um, you know, wherever else. So we began a a pretty active dialogue to try to understand. uh, We, Pax Christi always had a commitment to nonviolence, but it, 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 there was a tendency to think of it as a, a personal commitment to nonviolence, that you know, this is who I am and how I interact with people. Um, we began to ask our members, Pax Christi members, particularly in war zones, zones of conflict, why do you have a commitment to nonviolence? How do you practice it? How does it connect with your faith tradition? So we decided that the one uh, sort of, point of access that we might actually be able to make use of was that we're a Catholic organization. So the Catholic church has uh, a a network of religious congregations, universities, dioceses, parishes, uh, you know, some, a a diplomatic identity in almost every country in the world, uh, 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 presence at the international entities, the UN, the EU, and so on. So we decided that we were going to try to convince the Catholic Church institutionally to shift, literally, from a focus on the just war tradition, is this war just, to embracing nonviolence as a fundamental gospel value that is reflected in the life of Jesus, um, but became uh, over the century something that individuals might adopt, but wasn't considered to be a practical um, uh, framework for protecting people in a given country or dealing with political violence. And so in about five years, six years ago, five years ago, five years ago, we um, began a process of dialogue with the Vatican called the Catholic Nonviolence Initiative that grew out of, we first, we talked the, what was then the Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace into co-sponsoring a conference for us, with us, with Pax Christi International on nonviolence and just peace. At, to that conference, we invited, there were about 85 people and probably maybe half were from every war zone we could name where we had a connection, Afghanistan, Iraq, um, Pakistan, Palestine, Lebanon, Sudan and South Sudan, Uganda, South Africa, Colombia, the Philippines, Sri Lanka, 
and on and on. So we had gathered people who had an understanding of nonviolence, but were living in very difficult circumstances. And we asked them, is this foolish? What if what if the church actually taught the skills of nonviolence using all of the capacity that the institutional church has? And what the answer that we got, which wasn't unexpected, but it was very clear, was war is killing us. I it's been interesting to see Pope Francis in um, Mosul and Karakosh and Erbil this week talking with uh, the Dominican sisters, for example, from Mosul. Uh, one of the Dominican sisters, I had been to Iraq and met with them um, in as part of a little delegation to Iraq with um, Pax Christi some years ago. So we, one of the Dominican sisters was with us at this conference in Rome. And I did honestly did not know what she was going to say. This was two years after ISIS had obliterated their community. Um, if there was ever a time that um, defensive military action was would be uh, justified and understandable. It was that. And what she said was, it just never, it never ends. It, that we keep pouring more violence onto violence onto violence. Can't we find another way to deal with the, with the conflict? She said, we lived together with people of many different tra uh, faith traditions for, you know, centuries, literally. Now it's a mess. And it came out of a, a militarized response to a particular situation. So uh, the last about 10 years of my life have been, have been an, a, um, a very intense um, experience of, coming to understand nonviolence in a way that I did not uh, in the 80s. Um, one part of that has been, uh, we've published two books. For one of the books, we convened roundtables of people from all over the world, um, which we did virtually before we have it, have it all gotten so expert on Zoom, um, uh, where we looked at a theology, a sort of systematic theology of nonviolence, scriptural exegesis of nonviolence, a new moral framework. What, what could the church say? What would be a word that the church could speak in the political arena, at the UN, at to national governments, at a local level? If it's not going to focus on the just war tradition, how can it frame the advice, uh, sort of ethical and, and moral uh, advice that it might give. What are examples of nonviolent, effective nonviolent action? So we, we sort of did this pretty big process and then went back to another conference with the Vatican and, and published it in a book. But um, in the course of doing that, the sort of the piece of the round, the round table that I worked on most was on this, what's the new moral framework. If we are going to put aside the just war tradition um, what are we suggesting? I, I really believe that we, that we as a world have to move in this direction. Um, and that if we do, we actually can accomplish some of the, of the really deep changes that, that we need to see happen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Human Rights Magazine. The podcast is brought to you by the Upstream Journal. 
I invite you to consider supporting the program and the magazine with a contribution through PayPal as you explore other episodes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Human Rights Magazine. The podcast is brought to you by the Upstream Journal. I invite you to consider supporting the program and the magazine with a contribution through PayPal as you explore other episodes.